Hello and welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies we haven't seen yet. My name is Trent. I'm here with my wife, Betsy. My name is Betsy. Betsy's here as my co-host today and every single day. You cannot get rid of me. Betsy, we are here for another episode of our wildly popular series, Never (laughs) Scream It. It's wildly popular. Wildly popular. Betsy, we've been doing this three years in a row now. We're on episode two, Sunday number two. And we're going to be watching Jennifer's Body. We sure are. Betsy, neither of us have seen this movie, and we're about to change that. So why don't you tell the people what you think you know about it? So I know that this movie was written by Diablo Cody. She was the one who wrote and won an Oscar for the original screenplay for Juno. Yeah. So obviously coming off of that, people were like, oh, she's this hot screenwriter What is she going to do next? Yeah, because I remember Juno being a really, really big deal. It was very well written, and she deserved that Oscar. It was very unique, too. She has her own very unique language. The Mm -hmm. way she writes is not like a lot of things that were being made at this time. Yeah, she was ahead of her time, basically. So you got somebody who won for a movie about a pregnant teen, and her big follow-up is a horror movie about possession, I think? I know it's Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. Okay. And they're in high school. Okay. I don't exactly know what Megan Fox is. If she is an alien or she's possessed by a demon or she is a vampire. All I know is she starts starts, like sucking blood and killing people or something crazy. (laughs) I mean, that's more than me because like my understanding here is yes, it is in a, a high school horror movie. And I remember the marketing behind this movie because it was kind of notorious for being kind of a horny fest, for lack of a better term. Oh, they are exploiting the fact that Megan Fox was in the prime of her fame when this movie came out. And she was like being pushed out to be a very big deal. And like after this movie, I think she just kind of went away as an actor anyway. She did this in, like, the Transformer, like, the first one, well, she Transformers. Did, she did a bunch of the Transformers movies. But beyond that, I don't think she really did much else other than be Megan Fox, you know? That's kind of what she's been doing lately. Yeah. So, anyway, go back to the marketing thing. I remember, like, they were hyping up the fact that there's going to be, oh, there's a girl-on-girl kiss, like, makeout scene in this movie. You need to get all your guy friends together and go watch the lesbian kiss. And... It was just kind of gross. But my understanding here is, despite that marketing campaign, the movie is actually pretty good. I suspect that this movie is absolutely nothing like we think it's going to be. Yeah. Because the producers, the movie studio people got their hands on it and they edited the trailer the way they wanted to. But knowing what I know about Juno, I suspect that's not the kind of thing Diablo Cody would write. I agree. And this is one of those movies that, like you said, is probably better than people give it credit for. Mm -hmm. And I think has kind of grown in popularity since its release. Like, I don't think it did well in the theater when it came out, but I think it has since become a fan favorite. Yeah, that's my understanding too. So, um, I mean, other than that, I mean, we might have like another like under the skin thing where it's like an alien succubus trying to like eat and destroy men. I have no idea. I hope so, because that movie was awesome. But in high school. Yes, in, in an American high school, not in fucking Scotland or wherever that movie was set. So, all right, I got nothing else to say here. We're going to go watch Jennifer's Body. We'll be right back. 
we are back, Betsy. That was Jennifer's Body. What did you think of that one? I can understand how this movie has become a bit of a cult classic. For me, I don't know if I loved it. Like, there are parts of this movie that are really funny. There are parts that are borderline scary. Like, borderline. Like, they're building the tension. But it's like, you didn't really pick one lane or another fully. Yeah. They didn't really stick the landing here as well as maybe they would have hoped. Now, I think the movie got better as it went along when they started to really dive into their strengths. So, the comedy I feel like was lacking because I was led to believe that this is actually kind of a cheeky thing. It's making maybe making fun of this kind of, uh, of of a horror comedy thing, and it's putting your own spin on it. But I just you didn't get there all the way until the very end, and then the movie's over. Don't get me wrong; I can definitely tell this is Diablo Cody. If you've seen Juno, she has a very unique way of using dialogue. And that is prevalent in this movie. And there are scenes that are really, really funny. But I kind of wish it was more like that scene in American Psycho when he's going off about Huey Lewis and then he axe murders a guy in the face. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't be funny, but it's really fucking hysterical. I wanted that in this movie. Yeah, and I'll say this. Megan Fox is really fucking funny. For somebody you don't expect to be funny because I think that's she is the thing. She is the pretty girl and mm-hmm. she is going to be cast as the pretty girl. That is how you make a career when you are Megan Fox. Sure. But she actually gets to flex some muscles she doesn't really get to use otherwise. And I'll say this, I mean, there's a lot of like other not necessarily movies like this, but there's a lot of like really, really beautiful women who are going the, co- the the comedic route that also can do the sexy thing. I saw an interview with um, Alison Brie where she was in Community, was she not? Yeah. I think she was also in that uh, the Glow show on, on Netflix. She was playing a female wrestler in the 80s. Yeah, so she really embraced the comedic side of her acting, but at the same time, she's doing all the extra sexy things that you are expected to do as a sexy lady. But she embraces it and she uses it. Same thing here with Megan Fox. Yeah, she doesn't just play a one-note pretty high school girl. She is a cheerleader. She is her best friend. She's awful. Like, she is a terrible person. Yeah. (laughs) But she also is just, like, playing the spectrum of of a teenage girl's emotions. But instead of it's, oh, I'm just hormonal and life is really hard when you're a teenager. It's, I'm just really hungry because I need to murder someone and drink their blood. The demon is coming out of me (laughs) a little bit. So there's clearly some kind of a metaphor here for teenage girls and how they're, you know, hormonal and terrible. She's a little hangry. I get to say that because I was a hormonal, terrible teenage girl. They say hell is a teenage girl, so hey. But yeah, this movie is, it's okay. Like, I don't know. I think I would watch this again because there were definitely scenes where I was laughing really hard. Yeah. Like, when it's revealed what happened to her out in the woods, she goes out in this creepy van with a bunch of dudes in the band And they decide to sacrifice her. But being the stupid, stupid boys that they are, Uh they don't even know the difference between a girl that is and is not a virgin. Like, yes, there are girls like this that act 
very like pushy and slutty and flirtatious totally. and they are completely virgins but they make very clear at the beginning of the movie that that isn't her she's right. like i have not been a virgin for a very long time and these guys are dumb enough to believe her and i think right there that scene is where the movie peaked because we get the story, like you said, Adam Brody and his his Brody Bunch. <laughs> the Brody out, Bunch! <laughs> go out into the woods and bring Megan Fox out there to sacrifice her. But not because they're like devil-worshipping rock stars. No, they're going to sacrifice her to get a better career. They basically Googled how to yeah. sell your soul to Satan. Like they printed out instructions like from Google Maps or MapQuest. <laughs> this is how you sacrifice a teenage virgin. <laughs> and he brings a Bowie knife and all the dudes bro out because they're like, Bowie! Bowie! Yeah, nice! <laughs> and they're all singing... Jenny, I got your number. Yeah. I want to make you mine while he is stabbing her. <laughs> All so, of them do. So we got that moment. We got that American Psycho moment, but yeah. not from her. Adam Brody got that moment. <laughs> and it was funny. I just wanted her to have it because the whole point of this movie is that the men are the victims and yeah. they're the ones being hunted and she is this psycho killer. Like whatever the opposite of damsel in distress is for a dude, that's exactly what is happening here. She even says, you need to be help. I need you to be helpless so that I can feed on you better. I don't know. It's that thing they always say where I want you to be scared it's more fun or something. Scream like, for me. Yeah, in yeah. certain movies like that, it's like a power trip thing. They sure. don't want it to be easy. They want it to be fun. Well, and like she's kind of like playing with her prey a little bit, like pushing them around and yeah. But going back to that scene, yes, I, f I feel like from that point on, they maybe should have revealed it earlier on in the movie where after that, you could have just gone a little bit more bonkers and more towards comedy and more towards camp but they didn't go as far as I wanted them to. Yeah, this movie isn't campy. It's I wouldn't, not. I wouldn't call this campy, which maybe it would have been better if it was because that's really what her strength is with the yeah. way she writes dialogue. The seeds are there down to the fact that J.K. Simmons is in this movie inexplicably. Well, it, I can make sense of that for you because he's in Juno. He is in Juno. So fine. I think it's as simple as the whole group of people that were writing and producing Juno wrote and produced this movie. Right. And I'm not saying he as an actor. I'm saying he is a, has this character, this guy who is wearing this terrible wig. J.K. Simmons is not a like big man. He's wearing like almost a fat suit in this movie. I guess. He has this like weird scarring on his neck and he has a hook for a hand. Not to be outdone. He has a hook for a hand and they never address it. You said when he came on screen, first of all, we're like, what the fuck's he doing here? Secondly, you said, I really hope they do not address yeah, the hook. I really they hope didn't. they don't. <laughs> so, yeah. so let me ask you, now having watched this movie, do you have any reason you could apply to why he has a hook? They live in Minnesota and he lost it ice fishing. That's my explanation. <laughs> Some outdoorsy activity. And, you know, talking about the camp stuff, the, the progression of his character... J.K. Simmons goes from coming into the classroom and saying, we can't let this fire win. And 
he just, he needed to go a little bit farther in that. The only thing that really progressed was his accent and how ridiculous it was. Because at the very beginning, when he is introduced, he barely has that Minnesota accent. But by the dance, he is just letting it all come out there. <laughs> He's laying it on thicker as yeah. the movie goes. Yeah. Well, that's another thing that ties this movie to Juno and Diablo Cody, because that movie takes place in the Twin Cities. This movie clearly takes place near the Twin Cities. Yeah, and they when they're they're meeting the band for the first time, I, th- I don't remember who says it, probably Megan Fox. They said, aren't you from the city? That's how we refer to yeah, when Minneapolis and St. Paul when you live around these parts. Right. The city or means in the, that. In this case, the cities. As cities. In, as in the Twin Cities. Yes. Yeah, and I can't really think of too many other like really campy things that they were trying to really go with here, but they certainly referred to some other campy things. They had the joke in here about the kind of emo kid asking Megan Fox out on a date. He says, oh yeah, we're going to go and there's, there's going to be a showing of Rocky Horror at this place. And she responds with, I don't like boxing movies. <laughs> Something it's, like that. Rocky Horror is the superior in the Rocky franchise. We've only seen one Rocky movie, so we can't speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> they also have a reference to the Evil Dead. Yeah, that was my next thing. Yeah, she's got a poster in her room, which, she... if you recall from last year, is a movie yep. about people who get possessed. Uh-huh. A bunch of uh, high schoolers out, out in the woods. But yeah, they're, they're referring to other campy things and referring to these other properties, but they themselves don't go that extra mile to make themselves out to be this campy thing. No, there there are moments where it's like, are you going for camp here? Like when they go to the spring formal and Amanda Seyfried is in a giant pink 80s foofy dress it looks with terrible. big 80s hair. I hate it. Why? I hate it. I would, I would understand if they were trying to set this movie in the 80s. Maybe that would have given it an extra element that would have made it funny. But it's clearly not because they all have cell phones. Or if something here was going to actually happen at the dance. But no, nothing happens at the dance. Something happens near the dance. At this weird, abandoned, overgrown pool... On the top of a hill. On the top of a hill that is kind of near a school? Every horror movie needs to have the final climactic act when it's the murderer is confronted or the the psycho is finally cornered and you have to do them in. Yeah. So that's where they set it, in an abandoned swimming pool. Fair enough. But again, I don't really know how that is iconic. I mean, I do like the fact that they called attention to when Megan Fox floats out of the pool. They call it out saying, oh, geez, she can fly. Now, she's not that impressive. She can only float. She's hovering. She's just hovering. It's not as cool as you think it is. Don't impress me. Just like bringing your friend down a notch. Like, don't encourage her. Right, right. And they then have their little insult fest back and forth with each other. Saying I know, you're you're a bad friend and you always put me down and then yeah Megan Fox is well you're you're just fucking ugly or it's it's stupid teenage shit yeah that's because that's how girls fight they will pick the thing they know will hurt you the most emotionally emotionally like. I was the the snowflake queen. I won that pageant. Yeah, two years ago. And what have you done since then? Yeah, and you Nothing. you're having to take laxatives to stay skinny and all this other shit. Yeah. And while they're trading barbs back and forth that way, Chip gets a a, a sharpened up signpost and stabs her through the chest. I think it's one of those like 
cool like scraper things to get all the film and shit out. Is that what but that was? But for some reason, the end is now pointy. It looks it looked like a signpost because I thought there was something on the end. But that's why I, I just... said like it was a net. That's what I saw. I, but I, it doesn't matter. No, she just gets stabbed and then she runs away yeah. because that doesn't kill her. Right. But then a fucking box cutter later on d- does her in because she gets stabbed in the heart. Well, Trent, you have to understand, Amanda Seyfried's character, Needy, I'll get to that in a moment, uh-huh. uh, she has done her research. She went to her school's library, the public high school, where they have a section of occult books. Yeah, they, yeah, they go around the corner from the biographies and past the world history section to get to the occult. The very small section, but it has exactly what she needs. And she found out that she is, number one, possessed by a succubus, as Indeed. you said. Indeed. And it happened because it was a sacrifice gone wrong. When you sacrifice a virgin, it's all A-OK. But if you sacrifice someone who's not a virgin, the demon, the demon will possess them. And then they have to survive on bloodlust. So she knows all this. And she also knows that when she goes through her cycle of, you know, the full moon or 28 days or however long it needs to be. Uh-huh. And she is weak and she must fulfill her bloodlust. That, that is when she can be killed. Because she is not powerful at that time. So yeah, there's a lot of like metaphors here about like women and women needs and the time frame of it. Because if uh-huh. you if you notice the timeline, it takes place over two months, and it's everything on the first night, yep, and she nothing only, for a month, and she only has to feed a few times in the mm-hmm. entire movie. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's some puberty things in here, and it's not uh, not very subtle. No, it's sort of clever. If I sat here and watched this again and really got analytical about it, you could probably read a lot of context on that mm-hmm. focal point. Mm-hmm. And she's playing with a lot of tropes, like I said. The guys are the victims. The woman is the powerful one. The band that did this to her, they get what's coming to them. Amanda Seafried kind of gets a little bit of her own. By the end of the movie, you know, she actually absorbs some of these powers as well. I guess. And yeah, you know, she gets to be a badass by the end of the movie because she's this mousy, like, high school nerd. And then at the end of the movie, she's in a mental institution and a kicker. Yeah, and I don't really, I don't think that's really paid off all that well unless, unless Diablo Cody was setting this up for a sequel. Because if if you're going to do anything, set up the next demon, set up the next thing. I think that's really what 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 is uh, implied here, where she's just kind of walking off by herself. She's not captured by the end. She's not killed by the end. She is certainly possessed by something. So why not leave it open-ended? I mean, it kind of is. So when we're introduced to Amanda Seyfried, she's already in this asylum. And we don't know why, but she says, I'm a kicker. It says it right in my file. And she just goes to like a 15 and beats the shit out of some doctor trying to get her to eat healthier. And not eat Pop-Tarts. Not eat Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Generic brand Pop-Tarts. Yes. It was not... Like Walmart brand Pop-Tarts. Yeah, it was not the proper name. It's probably, honestly, the kind you buy at Target. It's probably the Target store brand because they specifically call out Super Target and this takes place in Minnesota. That's right. That's so right. I would, I would bet money it is the Target brand... Pop-tart. Toaster pastry. Toaster pastry. <laughs> but yeah, so when they show her there, we're like, okay, how did she get here? And then we cut to two months before, and she's this mousy, 
nerdy girl. It's like, okay, yeah. you don't just turn from this to that. Yeah, wearing your fucking Harry Potter glasses without lenses in them. Yeah, so... That really bothered me. And sometimes she had lenses, but I'm convinced there were times she did not because uh, you have to be very careful with lighting to make sure that that's not going to be reflecting. You also have to see Amanda Seyfried's giant, giant blue eyes. You cannot hide them. No matter what you do, they will always be visible. <laughs> but yeah, so you get this woman and it doesn't make any sense when she is first introduced and she is playing it so just like small and contained and her friend is the one that is dominating this relationship yeah. the whole movie and before we even meet them like when she was a kid and their entire childhoods she's been the boss and amanda seafried is the one who follows she is the follower yeah and this is a, again a very much a trope of these kinds of movies of teen comedies of high school whatever it's also just a real dynamic it is but at the end of the movie we find out that she's like this in the asylum because she got bit by Megan Fox. Yeah. And apparently it's like a vampire thing, uh, a zombie thing. If you get bit, your powers can be absorbed by the next person. Right. And when they're doing the voiceover, like she took her shirt off and you could see some scars on her back and on her neck and whatever else. So you, you know that she's been through some stuff. But you don't know the entire story. That's what we're going to get in the entire movie. But you're right. They're setting up what her character is going to be in the future. But first we have to see what happened in the past. So now that you're bringing that up, she had a scar in her arm and she had a scar on her back. What were those from? Because I don't remember anywhere in the movie that she got a bunch of cuts on her. Well, I mean, they were fighting. Like they had the fight in the pool. They had the fight in the bed. I guess, but they didn't ever explicitly show her being injured. So what was the point no. of showing her scars? Just the fact that she was injured during those fights. I don't know. Hmm. I'm going to have to go back and look at that because now that I'm thinking about it, I don't understand why she has scars. Well, again, the, the most important, I think, injury was the one to her shoulder, which is what she like takes a she takes her shirt off her shoulder and kind of shows the audience uh, that's that scratch. Which is, I think, the most important one. The bite. That's the bite was that mark. The bite? Yeah. Okay. I thought On it was her a left shoulder, no, she got bit, which is why she shows it, and she says okay. at the same time, "Did you know that if you get bit by someone who's possessed by a demon, that some of those demon powers can transfer?" Okay. First of all, I think you made that up for the context of this movie because I've never heard of that before. No. Nope. But also, it tracks with these kinds of movies because if you get bit by something bad, you have a tendency to turn into that thing. But as long as we're talking about this this be beginning scene, like the voiceover is still the Amanda Seyfried character that we see throughout, throughout the entire movie. It's not this like powerful demon chick that is walking out of this prison. She says the line, quote unquote, after the killings began in such a nonchalant way that it's very strange, especially first off right away in the movie. It's one of those things that you see on the internet, like use autofill or enter, like change one part of the sentence. Oh, yeah. So it's like take, take, the, take the first line of a yeah. book and then add this, you know. Mm -hmm. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times until the killings began. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that it. joke. But anyway, in, in, the, in the same kind of introduction 
voiceover thing. She she starts to explain the nature of the town. The town is called the Devil's Kettle. And it's not because the town is full of a bunch of Satan worshippers. It's because it's the name of this waterfall or river or something like that where there is a weird vortex where things disappear inside of it and they disappear forever. So are we to assume that there is anything nefarious about this because, like, the band drives her out to the middle of the woods to this waterfall to sacrifice her. Probably. Is it just their choice because they're a bunch of dude bros who Googled, like, good spots for murdering? (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe they found it on the internet where, hey, this is a great place for sacrificing because you can throw your fucking murder weapon into the vortex and it'll disappear. Maybe. Maybe it's as simple as that because... I think it's more the fact that they're a bunch of idiots as that to too. how she gets possessed by a demon. That too. But and not so much the water feature. I, I, I got some thoughts about the, the Brody Bunch here, but we'll get to that in a minute. But we also, you know, we go we go to high school. We meet these people. Amanda Seyfried has a boyfriend played by the guy from Scott Pilgrim, who is young Neil. He is young Neil. He is young Neil. This is pre-Scott Pilgrim, by it the way. Was. I mean, it was around the same time anyway. Uh, that came out very in 2010, close. so about a year apart. Yeah, very close. He looks identical. Yes. But I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else other than these two movies. Maybe one later. Chip is his name in this. Of course his name is Chip. Chip. It's like the cutest, wholesome little Minnesota boy name they could think of. Yeah, yeah I get that. But we're in high school, and Megan Fox invites Amanda Seyfried out to this club. You know, it's a club. It's a bar. It's not a fucking bar out in the middle of the fucking woods where there's a sign up. Did you see the sign in the bar? We don't ID here. I did not see that sign. Yeah, yeah. And as they're coming in, they I guess they mark their uh, their hands with a with a with an X. There's a lot of X's in this movie. Like, she says, like, cross you out, cross you out. Right, I don't know She's what that's She's going about. through her yearbook. I think it's just, like, a thing she likes. Is it like a likes. Mean Girls thing? Probably. Which, by the way, complete aside, today is the three-year anniversary of when I watched Mean Girls for the first time. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, guys, we're never going to cover Mean Girls on this show because I've already seen it We've once. We've already watched it. Yeah. we got to find some happened, schmuck who hasn't seen it. It happened right before we started doing this podcast. We did. I, I should have just waited. Yeah. But I made you do it. It's my fault. <laughs> anyway. I'm sorry, listeners. Yes. But we go out to this this bar and she wants to go out there because did she just like hear about this band and she just decides that she wants to fuck the lead singer or something? I mean, 2009, we would have had Facebook. Yeah. She says MySpace. She says MySpace. So again, another platform. By this time, MySpace was very much going into mainly the music thing. Mm -hmm. So I can believe that there are ways she would have heard of this band. And she just decides that the lead singer is really cute. Played by Adam Brody. Yep. Who's really funny in this. He's really good at this specific kind of role. He plays a great douchebag. And yeah, she decides she's going to like seduce him or something. And then it turns into, you know, the tables turn. Right. And he murders her. But there is an incident that happens during this show, this concert, that this bar is filled with young people, by the way. Yeah, and there two of them are looking at each other and sparks fly. Yeah, and there's... Sparks fly, Trent. Yeah, sparks fly. Because there's a fire, Trent. There's a fire that happens, <laughs> but right before that, they say something about, oh, yeah, she uh, she kind of looks like a virgin to me. So they're talking amongst each other like fucking creepers, number one. Like, oh, yeah, I, I go after only virgins. Like, 
like a creeper would, but it's for other purposes that we find out later. But yes, you're right. There's a, some kind of fire spark that happens behind the band that the band really isn't that concerned about when it's happening. And there's a big panic in the, in the crowd and people get trampled. People are on fire everywhere, but the band just, just doesn't really seem to give a shit. Do you think the band themselves started this fire? My assumption is one of two things. One, yes, they started the fire. That's the simple solution. But there is a wrinkle to that. And it's the fact that Jennifer is just like making eyes at him and then goes a little bit comatose. So I'm like, is he possessing her? Is she somehow absorbing some kind of voodoo magic? And she is like literally transferring the metaphorical sparks into actual fire because I'm trying to figure out the whole element of her just staring him down because the way they film it, it almost seems like telekinesis. Like she yeah. could just be starting it herself. That was my initial thought when I was watching the movie, I thought she was like transfixed and somehow she created this fire. She manifested the fire behind them because she's just getting all hot and bothered. Otherwise, the band did it. Yeah, they don't explain the fire very well. But you're right. Both things seem true because he definitely has made up his mind. This is the girl. Yeah. He's like standing out in the parking lot waiting for them and hands her a drink. Hands her a giant drink and is like shoving it in her face and is like, oh yeah, you, you're going to come with us. You know, a great idea to take drinks from random men at bars, men you don't know. Uh-huh. Don't do that. Yeah. And Bad you, idea. And then you just follow them into the van and they drive away, leaving Amanda Seyfried by herself. Did she have the keys to the car that they had? Because Megan Fox was the one who drove. She's like, I got the car until right. 11 o'clock. Right. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of elements here that I'm still trying to work out because this band has like in the van a bunch of occult books yes. and they all have matching like moon tattoos. So I almost wonder if to some extent they are like practicing to try to figure this out, but with the sole purpose of being Adam Levine from Maroon 5. Right, and they don't actually what? say the name. What a specific 2009 kind of reference. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the that's the jokey bit. Like, you know how hard it is for an indie band out here to try to make it in this life, in this industry? It's really fucking hard. So why don't we just, you know, do a human sacrifice thing that we Googled on the internet and just see what happens. Do you want to do this or do you want to be rich and famous like the guy from Maroon 5? Like that 5? Maroon 5 guy. Which I did. Okay, the people out there, if you were tempted to look this up, I looked it up for you. The guy who actually does the singing in this real band. It's not Adam Brody singing. Are you kidding me? No. I mean, I think maybe he's musically inclined. I have no idea. But I don't know But he's not sure. singing in this movie. No. <laughs> the guy who is, though, his last name is Levine. But he is not related to Adam. No relation. No relation. I looked it up. He's not like his little brother or a cousin nope. or anything like that. Nope. That would have been really funny, though. So what do you think about the, uh, the, the actual song they're singing up there? So I figured there must be some kind of significance to this song because they get up there, they start singing their original song, and it just keeps going and we hear like a full verse and a chorus mm -hmm. before the fire starts. 
And I'm just like, what is this? And it is very 2009 oh, yeah. indie band music. It is corny as hell. Like, There's so much pop punk in this movie. It's like the deep feeling emo boys uh-huh. from this time. Uh, yep. And then the song becomes like an unofficial anthem in the town. And the yeah. band is heroes. And everybody's just like singing about going through the woods, through the woods. It's like, oh, barf. I hate this. Like, the first time I was like, okay, this band's not bad. And then they are revealed to be, you know, a bunch of assholes. And there's like, no, you suck. But you know what? This whole thing worked because their song got so popular. They got so popular. They, like, sell out a nationwide tour in, like, um two months. <laughs> they become that popular. Yeah. And then they come back and play the high school dance. For free. For free. But the drummer is wearing a fedora. You know, that's don't what you trust, do when you're successful. Don't trust this piece of shit <laughs> band. They're a bunch of jagoffs with matching tattoos. And low, they get what's coming to them. Low shoulder. What? Which low is named, shoulder? Named after a sign on the side of the road. I was working out the whole movie like, what is this name? Oh, what I got it right mean? away. I got it right away. It's a stupid name for a band. That's the thing, though. Those are the kinds of signs that you see in a small town like this. In the this, middle of nowhere. On like a two-lane highway that they didn't bother building up the sides of the road. We know about this stuff. We live in the middle of nowhere. Right, but most of them don't even have signs, so they wouldn't even bother with a low shoulder sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But all right, before we leave this bar, there's some other things that happened in here before it went up in flames. There are some other things in the bar we must address, yeah. like the fact that Chris Pratt is in one scene of this movie. He is in one scene and he wants to be a cop or he's like a, a, a deputy or something. He's like in training, a cop in training. Yeah, he looks like a cop here. But this is pre-Parks and Rec. This came out the same year that show started. Okay. So this is like before he was really known for much. He had been on the OC. I didn't watch the OC. I'm so sorry for anyone who has seen that show. Uh, but yeah, he's in one scene in this and then he disappears. And I'm just like, oh yeah, Chris Pratt used to not be famous so he could do that in 2009. He could just show up in movies like yeah. fucking Moneyball? Yeah. He's in Moneyball. That was a couple years after this. Yep. He says some stupid shit and then he dies in a fire, I assume? I don't know because she uh, she talks about him later as if he's still still alive. Because she says, uh, I have I have connections on the police force. Oh, I'm fucking a deputy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he must have made it out alive. Sure. But we don't see that for sure. We don't even see him later on in that same sequence. We don't see him, see him at all the rest of the movie. Nope. Uh, we also have the... Oh, God. Should we talk about the 9-11 drinks? Dear God. Never forget, Betsy. What? <laughs> what was that? It's something that a country bar would have on their menu. It was red, white, and blue, and there were two tall shot glasses. And there's a line here where she's bringing it to Amanda Seyfried near the band, and they're on this tray, and she says, Oh, tower number two is a little bit short. Uh, what? No, don't make that joke. No. <laughs> just no. That's all I... No. <laughs> just no. Betsy says just no. Don't forget. Also just no. 
They use the R word abundantly in this movie. Again, once we've again, talked we're about this. in this era where I'm like, well, it's not until we started doing this podcast and we're watching all these movies from a short, specific span of time yeah. where I'm realizing just how prevalent that was. It was around a five-year span where it was like way too late to be still doing it in big movies. It was like 07 to like 2012. Where we really were like, let's not as a culture do that anymore. Yep. And it's kind of disappeared since then. But watching all these movies together, it's been- And we've been been doing quite a few of them. It's been very jarring- how abundant it is. Just how like loosey goosey they are with it and Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then play playing on the word and using other versions of sure. it of their own creation. Yep. Sorry, I had to just mention it. I know we keep bringing it up, but it's upsetting me how often it is happening. It is a remarkable thing when you, like we've been watching a bunch of movies from this era and almost all of them have it. The other thing that is interesting about this movie being set when it is, is just looking at how we all dressed. It's like, the, it's the remnants of that 2000s thing as we were getting into the 20 teens where her boyfriend has the floppy hair yeah. and he's wearing a vest with a t-shirt and Megan Fox has her low, low cut jeans. Yeah. And like the, the hoodies, but with the short sleeves. Remember when that was a thing we did? Nope. it's just little touches like wearing a scarf on an outfit that doesn't make sense to do that or just layers we wore so many layers like put a tank top over your long sleeve shirt or like six tank tops because that's a look that we thought was good or like all of the collar shirts and yeah but i noticed the scarf like when ship is walking by himself in the woods he's wearing a scarf with a tuxedo he's wearing a scarf with that suit what the hell is that it was the thing we did. Remember? He's, he's like Knives Chow. Remember in the early aughts when we wore ties with just like t-shirts or tank tops? Oh, like the Avril the Lavigne Aver- I was thing. just going to say the Avril Lavigne thing. Yeah, I did it. Why? I look at it now going, why did we do... Why? It's because Avril Lavigne. She wanted to have a thing and that was her thing. And like the kid in the vest Speaking with the t-shirt. Punk. I would be a liar if I said I hadn't worn some combination of a shirt <laughs> with a vest. It doesn't make sense, but it's what we did. And there is kind of a through line in this movie of, like you said, the pop punk, where there's a lot of Fallout Boy and the indie rock bands. Yeah. Like when they go to the funeral for what is it, Colin, the emo kid. Yep. If you look at the crowd of people there, it's all of these goth emo kids with the bangs and the lip tattoos and the yeah. striped shirts. Yeah. That entire half of the, the, uh, funeral morning party is emo kids <laughs> it's a nice touch that it that they did not really uh, focus on i wish they would have done more with that we were into emo music like a lot in those days still my point here for for the movie itself i wanted them to lean into this stuff lean into these caricatures because that's what's funny about it yeah we had a football player we have yeah. an emo kid we it's have the exchange school. student yeah there's Tons of cliches you could have played up more. But then you're kind of going into the not another teen movie kind of thing where you are really amping up that that thing and you don't really want to go all the way there. Unless that's what you're shooting for, which I they clearly weren't. No. But I kind of wish they had. I kind of wish they would have gone further in that direction. 
But there was some other stuff here that we haven't talked about yet that we we absolutely need to because there are some other things in this this movie that add a lot of flavor to it but don't necessarily get a lot of attention. So uh, the one scene that I would say is the best like edited together is the scene of Amanda Seyfried and her boyfriend in his room and they're going to have sexy times cut with Megan Fox and the emo kid in this brand new like housing development area where there's going to be a sacrifice them cutting back and forth between the awkward teenage uh what what did you call it awkward teenage humping humping yes it yeah. was their first time having sex and she is just grinning like an idiot it is like the most awkward unsexy thing like later in the movie he refers to it as the woman i made love to for four minutes right did and they actually say that it was their first time yeah i think he says it one time okay i god i hope it was because if this is what you're doing on the regular this is so awkward and then of course later in the movie they juxtapose it with she and megan fox make out yeah. and it's like way more sexual tension with right. the, that those two right and then when say, her and her boyfriend are actually yes. penetrating <laughs> yes and like they even say oh we can do what we used to do we can play girlfriend and boyfriend so maybe in the in the past when they were in like i don't know junior high or earlier high school they maybe practiced their kissing they the practiced, way the girls do quote unquote practiced right but that's a whole different thing but yes while they're actually in the act of having sex she starts having a vision of the dead football player yeah. and megan fox she is crouched up with her knees up to her yeah, shoulders curl up covered like a in blood like curl up like a fucking spider yeah, it's freaky. Like, she contorts her body in some really menacing, terrifying ways where yeah. she's, like, spider crawling around and, like, she's hunched over the dead guy, like, slurping up his blood with her hands. Well, like, when they're cutting back and forth and she's, like, there's a shadow of her of her body on the wall and she's, like, arch in a really weird way. But, which number one, she's really fucking skinny in this movie. She's petite. Yeah. She's very small. So you can see this outline of her shadow just being very kind of animalistic, mm -hmm. like, eating away at his body. And, like, Amanda Seyfried in this scene is, like, seeing blood come dripping down from the ceiling. Right, and she's, like, motioning to her, to her face as if... As if it's, like, dripping down on her face, but it's not actually happening. So, again, let's talk about this. Why is that happening? Is it because she's going insane or is it literally because they have some weird connection? Because yeah. there's this moment at the end of the movie where she like rips off the BFF necklace yeah. Yeah. and it's like she loses some of her power for a little bit. Right. They do not explain any of that. There is some kind of connection here, but I don't understand it. Yeah, I wish they would have explored that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Like, why are they so connected? Why is she seeing these visions? Yeah. Why is she able to do all this? Because it's before anything happens. She has not absorbed any powers of a demon. And she hasn't been attacked by her yet. She's no. just been, like, hanging around her a lot. And, like, when she goes to her house the first time after she becomes this possessed by this demon... And she goes in there and, like, devours uh, a rotisserie chicken and pukes up everywhere. And she's, like, howling at her. And, like, pushes her against the wall yeah. and asks her if she's scared. Is it just, you know, 
transference of bodily fluids. Like she's cleaning up that black vomit. So she absorbs her demonry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They don't explore it. And I wish they did because they clearly have some kind of deeper connection, which is unusual for as bad a friend as she actually is. I mean, you spend that much time together throughout your life. There's bound to be some kind of connection there. And of course, the thing I haven't brought up yet The fact that once again, in our movie series, Mm -hmm. we have a heroine who has to have a snappy nickname. So her name is Anita, but throughout this movie, Amanda Seyfried is called Needy. Needy. N-E-E-D-Y. And this is also a reflection of her personality, but she doesn't actually seem like she's that needy. I don't it's, think so. It's more the fact that Megan Fox is the boss. She's always right. And she'll just say, oh, God, you're so lame. Ugh, I don't even like you. Right. It's another. Like, Why are you obsessed with kind me? Kind of a catty name to call somebody yeah. if they are being kind of a weirdo. I don't know. It's just a weird, again, it's a weird choice. Everyone around her has a normal name and she's called Needy. Give me Tree any day. I don't like either of these names. (laughs) We are two for two of me wanting to smack somebody. (laughs) Well, we know who we can blame for giving her that name, Betsy. Is it Diablo Cody? No, it's Amy Sedaris. Oh, that's true. She did, she did have an appearance in this movie. Yeah, she's in it for like two scenes. She is the stereotypical drunk mom who was like up all night and like getting up at like four o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know if she was a drunk mom, but she's definitely somebody who works weird hours at a weird job. Because is that what it was? She says something about working the night shift. I don't know. Oh, okay. I didn't really catch on, but she's- That's what in, I thought anyway. In her one scene, she like just woke up. So I could see how you would say, oh, well, she was drunk because she's working at night and sleeping during the day. Okay. Well, there's also another mom here that I have to I have to mention. Because you have of, an opportunity. Any kind of connection to this show, I have to say it. Chip's mom is the mom from Dead Like Me. Yep. She showed up and I was like, well, I guess we're going to talk about we this show. We have again. to talk about this fucking show. <laughs> and of course, she is, she is the ultimate mom. She has that kind of an attitude. She has that voice. She has that look. And this movie came out just a few years after Dead Like Me ended. It wasn't on that long. No, I think it ended in like 05. And I don't think that 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 actress, I can't even remember her name, but I don't think that actress really did much else after that. She probably plays the mom a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, I only have one more thing left to talk about here. We've done quite a few movies of this type where there are people going to school. There are students, they go to high school And I always complain that if these kids are actually in high school, they're going to college, they're doing whatever, why aren't they going to class? And in this case, they actually do go to to class, but number one, it's the same class. And number two, the other trope of these movies, there's only one teacher at this fucking school. Yes, one was sadly killed in the fire, if you recall. <laughs> no, I don't remember they say that. They the Spanish teacher died oh, in the flames. Right. <laughs> so They're yeah, down to one. There were two. Now they're sadly <laughs> down to one. And with one hand. And he's, yep. And we don't know why. He's only, he's only got one hand. I don't know what he teaches. Maybe it was a horrible science accident. I don't even remember, like, what... what it looks like it's a science thing of some kind. They don't really so, explain no, it. No, they, they had a fetal pig. Did you see that? Okay, he is a science teacher They had teacher a then. fetal pig in there. Gross. Yeah. 
What's that about? I don't know, because he's not actually teaching anything. He's just talking about how sad it is that people have died. <laughs> yeah. And then also introducing the band repeatedly. He right. talks a lot about the band. Like, he is not, like, it, this is like homeroom. Like, they're not actually t- talking about any kind of, like, schooling. It's just them talking. Yeah. Great teacher. Great school. All right. Well, Betsy, did you have anything else here before we get out of here? You know, I think it's one I would maybe revisit again, just because the more we're talking about it, the more I'm like, okay, well, that was interesting. That was interesting. I think the real winner in this piece is actually Megan Fox, which is weird to say, but she is so committed to everything she's doing. Like I said, she's contorting her body and she like stayed indoors for four months to be pale and look very sickly. (laughs) And, you know, she is not doing the typical pretty girl things you're used to. And she is really a heinous bitch in this. And she but she's having fun. She commits to the look, too, because not only is she, like, getting, like, super duper skinny to be this, this waifish high school girl, but when they make her up with all of these, like, demon teeth and... I don't all even, the blood everywhere. I don't even think she is wearing fake teeth. I think she's just contorting her face and angling it in such a way that she's got a really terrifying smile and a mouthful of blood certainly helps sure. that but that's what i'm saying here when she is all done up with blood everywhere and like her her outfit is like torn up and just just completely disheveled she commits to it she looks great and then she's you know screaming and eating chicken and puking on the floor yeah As you do. All good things. All in a day's work for (laughs) Megan Fox. All right, Betsy, that's going to be the end of Jennifer's body, I believe. And by the way, we haven't mentioned this yet in this uh, Never Scream It series, but it is also going to be kind of a faux decade series for us this year. Uh, Last episode, we did a movie from last decade. It was from like 2017. This one came from 2009, the previous decade. The next movie is going to be coming from the 90s, and then the 80s, and then the 70s. It's like we planned it that way. Kind of, we did. <laughs> Ultimately, the flow of the movies that made the most sense yeah. in that order. And like we picked out like two or three of them, and it just so happened that they came in different decades, and we just filled it out from there. But, you know, that's how, that's how we plan this out sometimes. All accidental. <laughs> we, we are very organized people. <laughs> Who know exactly what we're doing? Tell us how we're doing by emailing us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We got such an email about one of our other Never Scream It movies from our superfan Stephanie from last week, Happy Death Day. She says, I really like this movie. It is super fun. I love time foolery. Hey, that was our other series. Uh, I love horror comedies. It is great. I think the cast is really good, especially considering how young and mostly unknown they are. That's the thing about that movie in particular is I have not seen any of those people in any other movie. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think I've seen any of them. Uh, By the way, spoilers for the rest of this this whole email for, for this movie. Uh, She says, I didn't catch on to the roommate until much later in the movie. I like that this character is not likable until she starts to reevaluate her life. I have never heard of Tree being short for Teresa. Ha! Of course, I say Teresa because that's the proper way. Teresa. No, that's the proper way. (laughs) Teresa. See, you get Tree. You don't say Tori. 
Teresa. <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> I w- this is a hill I will this die a hill on. You will die on. No, I, I, I am. I will not follow you. Follow you up that hill, Betsy. Agree to disagree. <laughs> Stephanie says, "I think maybe the roommate was just assuming birthdays are hard when you lose someone close to you in general, regardless of shared birthdays and stuff." I felt like that was an unnecessary connection. They could have just said that her mom made birthdays a big deal. Yeah, they did not really flesh that whole thing out with the the mom and the birthdays and when she died and how she died, anything. We needed more context. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like we said, I like that her body retains the trauma of her previous deaths. I love the various death scenes. I think the cop car is my favorite one. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, There's also some pretty cool camera work in this movie. I really liked this one, and I am excited to revisit it this month. A great end to time foolery and a kickoff to never scream it. Uh, We watched Coco today to kick off our spooky movie month. Love you guys from Superfan Stephanie. Yeah, not a traditional choice, but it is about ghosts and the afterlife. It is. It is. It is. You can tie that together. Totally. I get it. She watches significantly more spooky October movies than we do. Yeah, we kind of save she, we save it up for October. I think she tries to get one for every day if she could fit them in. Oh, geez. And there's a lot of them. There's so many. And there's so many that you've just never really heard of or would have never heard of unless you are in that community. Like, there's a whole giant community of people who love scary movies. I am finding a lot of that going on on Twitter right now where I'm just oblivious to the conversation. Yeah. But they're having a great time. In, in regard to anything in particular right now or just in just general? Just talking, talking shop. It's <laughs> this the, is their it time. It is their time. <laughs> it is Halloween. It is October. This is when the weirdos come out and all of the conversations get real interesting because it's on everyone's minds. Like Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie, Stephanie. (laughs) again, for your email and every other email that you send us. But if you would like to be like Stephanie and become a super fan, you too can become one by sending us an email, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. If you don't want to do that, follow us on all the social media stuff. We post every single day, either some clips from the show or fun facts or whatever the fuck else that Betsy has in her mind that day because she runs all the social media stuff. I'm a lucky girl. Yeah. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're also on Blue Sky if you are so inclined to go over there. Twitter is a, is a trash fire right now, so who the <laughs> fuck knows what's going on over there. But anyway, really what we would ask you to do, go on to your favorite podcast app of choice, rate us five stars on there, leave us a review if you are so inclined. It really helps promote the show and get it in front of more people. But I would like to thank every one of you for listening all the way to the end of this episode. If you've made it this if far. If you've made it this far in Jennifer's body, by golly, you deserve a thanks. <laughs> we have a few more movies in Never Scream It, like we mentioned. Next one is going to be from the 1990s, like we said. I'm really excited for this one. Betsy, you have seen it. I'm just going to say it. We're going to watch The Craft. Hell yeah, we are. We're going to watch The Craft. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to see this because I've not seen anything from this. And it was a movie that my cousins really liked as a kid. So anyway. It's been on the list. Yeah. It's time is coming. Yeah. I think this is the first one we put on Never Scream It for the year. We may have. I don't remember. (laughs) We didn't really worry about the rest of it. Nope, nope. All right. Look forward to the craft coming next week on Never Scream It. But until then, this is another episode of Never Seen It. My name is Trent. My name is Betsy. And we'll be back to you next time. 
Bye-bye.